Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. And tonight, in this minute, you'll get to hear me talk about John Wick, because I forgot to yesterday. (laughs) Okay. Today, we're talking about Minute 134, which begins with a big A and ends with Iron Man's palm. Back on the show from yesterday, we have Andrew and Joe Dorowski. Hello, gents. Hello. Thank you for having us. Hello. Oh, this is great. So uh, we're wrapping up our pullout. Uh, we left yesterday's minute pulling out of the penthouse suite with uh, Tony and Pepper as they're embracing. They've kind of shut their uh, the uh, imaging hologram down so that they can, uh, you know, just have a moment together. The camera pulls out quickly. We see all of the broken glass and everything on the uh, on the patio outside. And we end with the A, the final piece of the letter that has been left at Stark Tower. And kind of a hint that, oh, this A is, uh, it might mean something. In fact, it looks awfully like the A at the start of the film in the title sequence. Hmm. <laughs> wow, you really Sherlock this. <laughs> I, I definitely do remember, like, being in the theater and people being like, ah. Oh. <laughs> it gets people excited you know yeah, yeah, the idea like uh, like because i mean during the fight and let's be honest when you were watching the film and the letters started getting knocked off were you thinking that this was where it was going you're like oh i see what they're doing here or did it come did did you piece any of that together because obviously you're in the middle of a fight sequence I mean, my memory, we're, we're reaching back a decade, <laughs> but my memory oh, yeah. is that yes, uh, I, know. I did not piece it together until seeing the A here in this last shot, which I think definitely does work as a last shot. There is a chance that I was thinking about it, but but I could not say with certainty whether or not I was like, they left the A, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that I'm bright enough to have made that connection, but <laughs> who are we kidding? Yeah, I I would not have been able to piece that together at all. It's just there was so much other stuff happening with all of the destruction and everything. I just see I think things are getting blown up all over the place. The fact that some letters fell down, I would not have pieced together that uh, they were very purposefully planning to leave the A. And it is a nice surprise, but I also probably did have that happy eye roll, we'll call it, at the end. We're like, oh, they left the A. (laughs) I noticed watching this minute a a couple of times they have like a sound cue as as the camera backs past the a there's like a a a swooping noise or like a whoosh i think it's good i think i like it i don't think it's ever stood out to me except in watching like the single minute multiple times but i'm intrigued by the like who decides to put a sound effect like that in like it's i guess the implication is like it's the sound that the cameraman is experiencing as he flies backwards. <laughs> Cause like we haven't been hearing diegetic sounds in, in this sequence, right? We, we no, didn't, yeah. like, were there, were there even like beeps or, or like sounds from the, from the blueprints at this point, it's pretty much been MOS. We're just experiencing the score and watching kind of the montage of shots. We'll call it a montage. Cause again, they don't cut together. <laughs> properly right, no but uh, of of tony and pepper look at the blueprints yeah so I, I think uh to your point that's an interesting one the idea that they're very purposefully adding kind of a subtle swoosh sound in there to give us that emphasis 
yeah, it's like pay attention to this thing. It's it's in like second two yeah. of the minute, but there's there is like a a little whoosh sound to imply like oh you're flying past something. Yeah, it's it's one of those sound cues. And actually, I, I'd been watching this so many times, but I wasn't paying attention to that. So I'm glad that you actually called that out because it does speak to the nature of the team. And who knows if that was something that came from the director or the sound designer had that idea and pitched it and they went with it. It's it's one of those things that um, somehow got in here and just gives a nice little extra punch to when that letter shows up that that you know subconsciously we could go oh. This is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what it reminds me of? John Wick. <laughs> here it is. <laughs> Let's hear the connection here. This Tell is, me more. I, I, I have a. <laughs> I just have a wee correction or or addition to make. I don't think we talked about this, Andy, but when we just saw the pan up as they were talking or the tilt up as they were talking uh and you see them on top of the bridge and i wanted to say if you look down a little bit lower you can see them shooting john wick which is not true but it is the same location bethesda terrace fountain in central park and i love the idea that on top of the bridge is do-gooders and on the bottom of the bridge is assassins that makes me really happy to think about and i wanted to make sure i added that because we should have been talking about it a lot for the last several minutes every time they actually talk go to the bridge well i will say amongst the do-gooders there are two assassins that's that's an excellent point they actually this is what connects the mcu to the john wick cinematic universe they're checking their watches because they're waiting for that clock to finish ticking (laughs) down so they can start chasing him yes they're just gonna hop off the bridge and and go yeah that would be actually a wonderful like easter egg is if they just like open a drawer in one of their homes and there's like a gold coin in, in the junk drawer. <laughs> oh my gosh. In the junk that drawer. That is a great addition. Uh, okay. Well, I'm done with that. Thanks. Oh, uh, well, thank you for including that. You're welcome. Very important. Very important. Shout out to uh, MCU Location Scout. Very handy. Oh. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's a nice little wrap up to the film that we have here with uh, with the Avengers Tower, setting us up for where we're going to have as kind of a a central hub for our films moving forward. Well, um, I think well. I think for essentially a few scenes in one film. Okay, all right, and then they <laughs> then they move to the hangar. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Which which is one of the things that like it makes me sad about. I, I mean, we talked about it a little bit previously the flow of these movies just by the fact that they're movies and not comic books, they're not cheap to make. They're not serialized in the same way. And so you don't have the constant flow. There's actually relatively little that we get in some of the core, you know, like a core environment, like Avengers tower. And the implication by the next film is like, yes, they've been living here for a year. It's like, I never see any of that. Yeah. They moved on. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult because you'd almost have to, in all of the films leading up to uh, Ultron, like when we're in those films, like they would be having scenes in their room, right? As as they would go back home and, and crash for the night, and they'd pass they'd pass Steve in the hallway as they were going off uh, to the bathroom in the middle but of the Steve night. But Steve lives in DC. Yeah, it's yeah. It, well, it's when he's here. I don't know. It's it's one of those weird things where none of it really. I, I guess they're area. Yeah, it's like what are they for? Is it only for when they're in the middle of a battle that do they stay here? Well, uh, it's like a, yeah, it's like they have they have a room whenever they're in New York, they have a place to stay, which seems like a weird thing to invest in if you're Tony Stark. But 
like really just like get an Airbnb. N- New York real estate's cheap. It's really nothing. <laughs> Especially <laughs> penthouse space yeah. is super cheap. Right. Wait, what was the what was the monthly rate on uh, the the twenty was it twenty third floor in the building across the way? Like oh. uh, one, it's over a million dollars yeah, a month for a month for a month. And yeah, so, yeah you I mean, can just hold that for your buddies <laughs> in case there's gonna right. be a game night for, for all those people that you party room <laughs> for all the people that you've met once and don't even necessarily like that much. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> eventually have some serious fights with right i know in 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 ultron like they imply that they go on at least half a dozen missions together you know working out all the stuff that you know that leads to the beginning of age of ultron and so like clearly they do have interactions and so i guess oh man are going on missions is that like their weekend game nights where it's like come over to the tower you can stay in the room and it's like a beach house and it's like, we'll, we'll do a couple missions, and then you can go back to whatever you're doing. Right. Where <laughs> we actually, that. like, hang out and play Call of Duty, they actually go out and shoot stuff. So they do it on holiday weekends. I can get there Friday night, but <laughs> right. it's easier if I get there Saturday morning. Well, this is why their their movies are so sparse, because it's hard to... I mean, if it's just two people, it's so much easier getting together. But if it's six people, like, working those schedules together, it's real, real nightmare. Yeah. I've I've not done very much of this, but my understanding is like this is a theme of D and D campaigns. Uh, is trying to coordinate the schedules <laughs> yes, of six, six individuals who all have their own lives and adventures going on. Pretty much it. Yeah, Tony's sending out a when is good link. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, I've got some intel. Can everyone just let me know when you're available in the next two weeks? We'll get together and we'll take care of it. Right, right. Sending out what? What's the the app that you use to like people can put when they're available? And it's like, yeah, that's a. I, yeah, I, I've always good. seen Calendly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Avengers.calendly.com. <laughs> it's like okay, well, we can do it if everyone except if one people if one person can't come, we can still do it. But if two people can't come, then we gotta wait. Then we gotta wait. All right. Ah, makes it hard. Makes it hard. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about our alternate ending to the film. I want to talk a little bit about that. We ha- we have some credits here, I, but I want to talk before we get into that. I want to talk about this alternate ending. Uh, we have been talking over the course of the season about this original plan that they had with Maria Hill, where at the very beginning of the film, we see Maria Hill uh, in this session with the World Security Council uh, a few days after the attack, uh, the Battle of New York, and they're kind of questioning her about everything that happened and there is this real sense that she has this antagonism toward Nick Fury that she didn't feel that he was making the right decisions later in the film there's a scene where she admits that she's the one who told the World Security Council um, that he'd sent the Avengers in things like that and all of that has been removed but we've kind of had that a sense of something going on with Hill like she and, and, and Fury it's at times, it seems like there's still kind of an antagonistic relationship between the two. It's been interesting. This is the conclusion of that. We have a scene uh, back in this room where she's talking to the World Security Council. Um, a number of different faces. Jenny Agutter is the only one that remains the same. Uh, Len Cario, interestingly, plays Gideon Malik and definitely 
uh, a face that people might recognize, but got replaced by Powers Booth. It, but it's really kind of this long conversation between them and Hill where she's admitting that they made mistakes and she also made mistakes. And Nick Fury is the only one who saw them as the actual heroes they were. And then she has this whole thing where she reveals like, oh, and by the way, your attack on New York. Yeah, we kind of recorded that whole thing. We're shield. We do that. And then the wall comes down and we see, oh, we're actually at the meeting, uh, the table in the bridge. And she and Fury knew about all of this, and the two of them are kind of having this chat, and it leads into that final conversation of the two of them on the bridge and the helicarrier in our last minute. It's an interesting little scene, but the way that it wraps up, and I guess, Pete, this would, question might be for you first, because we've been talking about all of these. The way that this scene plays out and it wraps up with Hill kind of really being on Fury's side, does it seem like... She always had been on Fury's side, and this was kind of some setup that the two of them had to kind of pitch the pitch it this way to the World Security Council, like, hey, and by the way, we've been recording you. Does this kind of like defeat the entire purpose of everything that we had before? I actually don't think so, because in my head, when you put these two sequences together, as they would be without being broken up by an entire movie, what you get is a sequence for her where her mind was already changed before she started the interrogation with them. Like, you can tell, to me, she was an antagonist, but given the events of the movie, she has changed her thinking, and she's telling it, she's telling the story sort of from the perspective of her emotional journey with Fury, even though we now know that she's already on his side again. And that, I think, is is a really interesting way to do it. It's it's like we, we jump into her thought process, not necessarily the action. And again, it gives her more substance and meat as a character, which we have been longing for uh, throughout the movie. So, yeah, to me, I don't I don't necessarily think it's any sort of a, an emotional rug pull for her, for her character. I think it really is. We get to just see her play it out for us. Yeah, so for for you two, Andrew and Joe, I mean, you hadn't been with us with all those conversations. I don't know if you had seen any of those uh, deleted scenes or alternate scenes, um, but how does it play for you coming in and, and watching it now? When you, like, described all of that and then, like, asked the question, you know, uh, so what, like, is she making up her mind in this moment or anything like that? It seems like before the events of the movie, she was questioning Nick Fury. And by the end of the events of the movie, she's all on board, but the security council has not been aware of her shift. So she was on the, you know, like they were counting on her. And then now she's saying, Oh, by the way, like all this stuff, she's presenting a lot of confidence to basically like say, I'm out. See ya. Mm -hmm. And so she's, she's for the first time announcing her confidence in Nick Fury and I think it, I think it also plays as the first time she's saying it out loud for herself. Like, nope, I'm going all in on Nick, Nick Fury here. I suppose you could read it that way, especially at the very beginning where she's kind of in that state where she's kind of lost in her own thoughts, thinking about things. And it's like that snap when they are calling to her, like, Agent Hill, Agent Hill, and she kind of snaps out of it. Like, she had been, I mean, the, essentially their bookends. And so the entirety of the movie essentially just like played out through her head. And now she's coming out of it going, yeah, maybe Fury was right all along. Well, and, and the way, since I haven't seen the other scene, my assumption would be like, she's made the decision before having this conversation with them, but not since the last time she had a conversation with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're in violent agreement. 
but I haven't seen the other scene. I was going to say, I feel like it was probably the right move to cut this. That was kind of a long, slow monologue that probably would have felt like a drag after we kind of already had our denouement of, you know, Loki being taken away. <laughs> and to, to right. have a, a monologue right. of that length, I, I think it then followed up with another conversation with Fury and Hill, which we do have in the film. Uh, it, 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 the pacing would have felt off, I think. I, I, I would add to that, that it's like her standing up on the line, we recorded you because we're shield is not maybe the power move that they that they, they maybe were thinking about <laughs> right. in the writer's room. Like, yeah, we're also two-bit blackmailers, S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, we're really awesome at our jobs. <laughs> That's just, like, not a good message. And and I think um, I think it was worth cutting for that alone. It would have been, like, more satisfying if she was, like, really technical about it. And it's like, yeah, based on this law, we're able to do, like, a one-sided consent for recording yeah. conversations. <laughs> and we've been doing all of that. I remember that from, from the Jessica Jones series on yeah. Netflix. <laughs> She like, kept everything. saying, like, there's a one-sided consent for recording this yeah. conversation. <laughs> know, that's so good. For some reason, Jessica Jones can make it work. I'm not sure if Maria Hill could have played it. Well. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, you know, we also have uh, lines that she says, like, the Avengers were the mistake that saved the world. And in the scope of things, like, when you say something like that, I don't know if it sells the film quite as well as you'd want it yeah. to when you're coming, when you're trying to wrap This was a bad up. idea. <laughs> we sure got lucky. The mistake that saved the world. Uh, so funny. So funny. Uh, you know, it's an interesting sequence. And, uh, you know, I like... Uh, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit over the course of the show. I like that this would have given Maria Hill a little more of a character arc over the course of the story. And you can see, especially having seen all these sequences, when you watch the film and then you watch Maria Hill and her interactions with Fury, you can kind of get this sense that she's not always trusting him. She thinks some of his ideas aren't that great, but she's kind of going along with it. And it would have kind of tracked as a more interesting arc for her character as it is she's never really had much of an arc over the course of any of her appearances in the marvel cinematic universe it's always just i'm the gung-ho uh, right hand uh, person here at fury's side and that's pretty much all she got to play and so to that end for kobe smolders i certainly feel for her that she didn't get to do anything a little more interesting with the character um but I think the point is well made. This really would have kind of slowed the end of the film down quite a bit. Which actor do you think was uh, more disappointed with what they ended up having to do in the Avengers film? Jeremy Renner or Colby Smallers? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. No kidding. Well, I think Jeremy Renner was was given a lot more in the long term. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can I, one one question about the end, you know, she he says, how'd that go? She says, sold you down the river, sir. I should have a job within a month. And he says, good work. You should maybe ask for a chair. It, does that, given our conversation about the fact that Fury doesn't sit, it, does that line have more weird weight to it than maybe? <laughs> I, I did catch on it yeah. as we watched it before recording. It's like, didn't we just talk about this? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Was this in our subconscious? <laughs> Maybe that's why the whole thing was cut, because they realized nobody has chairs except for the video game playing S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And uh, that wasn't worth it. it. Well, it's a weird, like, what does that line mean anyway? It's nobody like, he, like do, do, by having a chair, are you more powerful? Like, it doesn't make any sense because he doesn't have a chair. Like He doesn't have a chair. Is, is he suggesting that he doesn't have a chair because they didn't, like, because he wanted one and they said no? 
Yeah, right. right. Or because she is somehow lesser than because she would need to sit. Or like, what is it? Like, does Nick Fury not have a company credit card? Like, he can't go on Amazon and order an office chair if he wants Get it. Himself an Aeron chair. Maybe, maybe there was a follow up. You should maybe ask for a chair for me. Right. <laughs> I've been asking for years. They still haven't given me one. Maybe you have some sway. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, all right. Well, um, so that's the ex- the alternate ending that would have uh, kind of led to this uh, finale here at Stark Tower. Um, the film, you know, our minute ends actually with the start of the credits. We have the the pullout on Stark Tower, and then we shift with our music. We get the new uh, the Avengers theme from Alan Silvestri, and the credits kick in directed by Joss Whedon. And this is like so many of the the credits that they have. We have a start of the credits with like little animated bits before the actual scroll. And this is going to be kind of a series of images that tie in directly with characters, with our team. All right, before we break this down, I have a question. This is, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I got to say, this is the, uh, this might serve you well in the future. This is the part of the credits that my children call the special credits. Because on kids' movies, it's usually a fun song and like like concept art and imagery from the film, and so they like to watch that. The boring credits. They get to the boring credits. <laughs> yeah, that they okay. don't want to watch. I love that. And so the so special these credits. are the special the special credits. Is okay. the, this helpful. first portion of the credits. So, say you're in charge of the special credits for Avengers. You know, Marvel has invested in multiple films leading up to here. What are some of the most iconic things you can think of to include in Avengers special credits? Like, which characters do you really want to to sell to the public that this has mattered? (laughs) And and let's just say, this is a leading question because Joe has written an essay (laughs) documenting the correct answer to this question. It doesn't matter what we say. (laughs) Like, even just, like, in your head, like, okay, Marvel marketing in the year uh, 2013, uh, you know, who who are they going to be promoting most? Would you guess? Okay, well, clearly Stellan Skarsgård is a critical part <laughs> of the Avengers franchise. Yeah, Wither, Wither Eric in the, this uh, the, section. The, the breakout feature of the Thor film. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, honestly, he might be in this movie more than Thor. <laughs> <laughs> We, I, I think we, we just saw a couple of minutes ago, we saw the big life-saving moment where Hulk, with his mighty roar, saves the life of, of Tony Stark. And that sequence has the big four. And we, we really, you would imagine, Marvel Marketing would say, no matter what you think of the, the rubes, uh, uh, you know, Hawkeye and Black Widow as puny humans, we would definitely want to rotate Cap to Iron Man, Thor, and Hulk, at a very minimum, leading the special credits. These have been our franchise players. Yeah, the ones who have had the films up to this point. Right, that's true. Yeah, that, and that's, I mean, that's and, and logical. Maybe if you're going to, if you're going to undercut that minimum, then it's the, the big three. Because that's the, you know, in, in future films, that's the battle with Thanos. Is, is a core mm-hmm. three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you make some good points here. But what we get... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Joseph, what's your what's your answer? Please, please commence the reading. I mean, I, I it's just surprising that Iron Man isn't like front and center in all of this because that's been the core for Marvel's marketing. Uh, you know, it's Robert Downey Jr. Uh, you know, that's what started the MCU. Uh, that's uh, really the the anchor, I think, for a lot of the MCU. He's had two films by this point. 
Right. But we're going to yeah. open up with the strap of Captain America's shield. Okay. <laughs> weird, weird choice. Okay. I'm with it. Well, well, I think technically it's the edge of Captain America's shield into the, into the strap. Yeah, into the strap. Yeah, real long lingering close-up on the strap. Uh, then we're going to get Black Widow's belt, which, okay, I appreciate that. Huh, as it's, 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 yeah. the, it's the cool hourglass. Yes. And as someone cool who yeah. had a daughter who was, uh, let's see, if she is 14 now, let's say, <laughs> I would just say, I had a daughter who was a young yeah, young daughter would want to go to the toy aisles at stores, and she was angry at the lack of Black Widow merchandise. So I do appreciate Black Widow being centered right here. Uh, you know, uh, so, so no real complaints. Then we are going to go back to the Captain America shield. Okay, another another shot. Huh. But we already had Cap, you might say. Now we're going to get something. It's not clear what it is at first, but we're going to zoom out and spin around a little bit, and we're going to see we're on the Captain America helmet at this point. With the wings and the A. Yes, and, and, and yeah. you know, with each one of these Which things... is so close that it looks like Batman, actually. Let's be honest. Yeah, it does for a second. You know, and, and with each one of these, you're getting the, you know, the, the the main special credits, right? You know, screenplay by Joss Whedon, you know, you get the, your, your producers, uh, produced by Kevin Feige. Director yeah. of photography. Um, you know, and a lot of the names that if you watch MCU films, you're, you, you see a lot of these names uh, fairly frequently. And then we're going to go from the Captain America uh, helmet to Captain America's shoulder and collar. <laughs> yeah damage the damage shoulder damaged, called it. yes and and you can see the shield behind it yeah real long slow yes. spin on that yes. then we get thor's arm armor which a uh, great texture on that no complaints on that being featured mm-hmm. it, it looks really cool it looks battle damaged in, yeah. in interesting ways yeah. definitely and then we get a glowing red thing like okay wait is this part of iron Man? no this is the sight on hawkeye's bow <laughs> What we're zoomed okay. in on. Laser Another strange choice. <laughs> and then, uh-huh. okay, we've left Hawkeye's bow. So what are we going to go to now? Uh, okay, it's Hawkeye's bow again. All right, we're back on a different angle of Hawkeye's bow, but we're going to take another you know, starting on little, his handle. You know, five, yep. ten seconds on that. And it's going to look like <laughs> it is pointing at Iron Man's armor. Now we have gotten to Iron Man's armor <laughs> at this point. And I think it but is even after... In the distance. Yes. <laughs> After this minute, so wait, the, uh, I'm going to be leaving. Uh, we're going to go from uh, the Iron Man glove to the Iron Man mask. We're going to go back to Captain America, star on his chest. But then we are going to see <laughs> Banner's glasses. That's how they're going to Hulk into this sequence is uh, Bruce Banner's glasses are going to be lying there. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think through like the rationale for this. And I could understand them putting Iron Man last as the linchpin. Like Iron Man needs to be first or last. And the fact that he's not mm-hmm. feels like a big mistake right he should be first or last mm-hmm. i agree with that to, to signify his importance and so if he's going to be last then i can understand captain america being first and so i'm trying to like i'm trying to walk through someone's thing it's like okay we've got a lot of good iconography for captain america so let's let's lean on the captain america we got to get black widow in there early so it doesn't feel like we're excluding the female character <laughs> we, we, we have one woman <laughs> and and i know they do like her her like wrist the the bites yeah when it's on each uh like the, the actors and actresses names they that's when you get uh, some more of these close-ups so i think it's like thor's hammer well that's that's the only time we get hulk or is is when we have mark ruffalo's name with the glasses yeah and so they're like okay so captain america black widow so that we can represent our token female and then thor because he's at a movie and then Hawkeye, because he's in this one. And then Iron Man last. And we'll get to Hulk eventually. But, you know, his movie isn't even all ours. So <laughs> can't, can't really center that one too much. 
I uh, well, I will say that we do actually get Hulk a second time, but it's only his hand in the in the next minute. It, we have a hand and it's in a computer, yeah, in, in a, a computer screen, screen. and yeah, it's for right. Jenny Agater's name. <laughs> like, what a weird, what a weird association. But there, I do have a theory. Okay, and my theory is this: it starts with a Google Doc that the credits editors were like, okay, we have all this iconography, as we've discussed, and we're going to put in a table on the Google Doc, like, what does everybody want their name next to? And all the principal people chose Cap, and they had no choice. I like this theory. Because they, they had already, like, all of the name order is is contractually obligated. Yeah, that, that's the guilds have, have said, we must have the producer here. Exactly. Yeah, right, and right. so when the producer says, I want Cap, and then the writer says, I want Cap, that's how we end up with Cap's collar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. right. It's a Google Doc. Like, I don't mind uh, Captain America being first at all. And I agree that Iron Man would have made sense at the finale. It's just so much Cap is, uh, like, as I was watching this minute, I'm like, what is going on? Why are we on Cap's collar and the leather strap inside of his shield? It's too much. It is a very strange uh, structure. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I ever really thought about it until breaking the minute down. But I'm like, like, we go Cap, Cap, Black Widow, Cap, uh, Cap. Uh, cap. <laughs> oh, and then more cap. It's like, what is going on? It, it was so strange. I'm like, okay, maybe in later minutes, and Pete, this is something we'll have to just talk about as we kind of finish going through all of these. Like, do we start getting more of these other heroes? And, you know, we've already kind of alluded to the fact that maybe not, but it is one of those weird things where it's just like, it It just alludes to the fact that they kind of ran out of ideas for some of the iconography with some characters, because by the time we were seeing, like, this is Cap's shoulder, and it's just like, well, okay, I, I guess that's fine, but yeah. weird, yeah. It is. It's very strange. And then sometimes I'm like, you know, because there are times and we, we've talked about this from the beginning, because there are times with certain people and certain roles where what they do in some way corresponds to kind of what the image is, you know, and it's like, oh, OK, cool. Like the writer, we're looking at, you know, a computer or something like that. Um, but none of that really like there's no corresponding elements from one thing to another here. Like the director of photography, that might have been a time to show like hulk's glasses or something but no that's when we're looking at the shoulder <laughs> hang on i've got i've got i've got an idea for at least one of them oh okay alan silvestri composer is shown in in juxtaposition to a drawn bow oh, oh. okay look at that look at, look at that but yeah. But that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> that's the best I, I got. Love, hey, you, you did. A drawn bow is a bit of a stretch. That was nice. <laughs> I, I do enjoy Pete's theory that this started with like people claiming, I want the cap. I just like the, the 3D animator like leaning back. Okay, um, let's see. We've got cap shield. That looks really cool. Okay, we've got a helmet. We've got the chest star. You can do a shield at least okay. twice. Um, what else? <laughs> There's a little <laughs> shiny bit on his shoulder. There's like a Col like a safety collar. reflector, yeah. right? Because <laughs> uh, with Black Widow, we do get uh, the the red belt and the the hourglass belt and the stinger that works. Uh, Thor gets the arm armor, which does look cool, and the hammer. Okay, that that works. Uh, he could he never wears helmet in this one at all, right? We never saw Thor's helmet. Nope, never. Yeah, so. I feel like if that was the case, then somebody's regretting giving people the options. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. That goes without saying. I think we really nobody gets options ever again. It's like I'm never yeah. giving them the options again. They're good. They're going to take what they can get. You know what? Next time we make this movie, everything's going to be like white marble. You're not even <laughs> going to be able to see details anyway. <laughs> 
This is now uh, like the one of all the things that we've talked about in this movie. This is the mystery I would love to have resolved <laughs> is how the hell did they choose name associations with the, that's it. I need to. Yeah, and, and the order too. Like it just like it just all seems so weirdly scattered. Like they just pulled it out of a grab bag. Oh, we got cap again. Oh, let's see what's next. Oh, cap. It just it's a weird little thing. And I have a question with all this cap stuff. Is this the cap helmet he's wearing in this film, or is this one from? Let's take a look. The, like the shoulder doesn't actually look like this film's shoulder. I think it's it. I, it it does. Okay. Well, it's the wrong. Yeah, it's, it's a really it's, muted it's color. Like the, they went for the brighter blue in yeah, the film, but it's got the reflective chevron. Yeah, and all of that. Yeah, um, I think that is the helmet from from this movie, um, because I think in the future movies it's a little less like form fitting around the face. They they try to make the helmet like really sleek in this one, and I think the later ones like, well, he's going to take it off when he needs to take it off, and we should make it look more like a helmet. And so I think this one, I think that it's, yeah. that it's the one from this movie. I, can I say, I don't actually like the Cap costume in this movie. Oh, I, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. This is my least favorite Cap costume. It's a tough one. They, they, going like the full comic book style was a, was a little bit of a, a difficult thing to, to play well. Also, I think this is some of my least favorite Captain America in the MCU. In the Avengers. Is, is in this movie. I think I think the writing of Cap in this movie is some of the weakest because I'm not sure that this particular writing team is very good at sincerity and Cap's got a lot of sincerity. Oh, that's a very good point. This is this is a snarky team and Cap doesn't do snarky. And the fact that the writing team doesn't do sincerity. That's one of the things that this movie truly lacks, like just across the board. But then when you get when you get like Cap and Winter Soldier like, oh, I get this cap. It's not, it, it's not like the sincerity comes off weird. It's like, oh, make him sad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, make him sad, but sincere. It's like, yeah. got it. Got it. And it. Even when they're like it. reaching for some of, I mean, what they, I think what they would perceive as like an earnestness within cap, it comes a lot. Like they, they can't resist doing the joke. So like uh, when uh, Natasha says like, those are gods. And he's like, there's only one God, ma'am. And he doesn't, you know, dress like that. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're still trying to make him say a joke. <laughs> yeah. And there's definitely been some of those points throughout the film. I mean, I, I think there are some moments, but I think, I think your point definitely registers that there's a feel to him that may not work well with the, in the hands of these, of this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to confirm, I, I did go back and look at a minute with his mask before it was torn off. And it okay. is this mask. It looks like this so, one. Yeah. We do have that confirmation. I went through the crew. We have a, a lot of names here just to see. Uh, we've talked about a lot of these people over the course of these seasons. I was looking for which are some people who have not appeared in the any of these conversations up to this point. Uh, the first of those names would be director of photography Seamus McGarvey, ASCBSE. Uh, this is his first and only film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, which uh, I thought was interesting uh, because a lot of these uh, people, uh, the directors particularly, when they latch on to a cinematographer, that seems to be somebody that they like to kind of continue bringing back uh, for for more of their films. But even looking at uh, Seamus McGarvey's projects, I don't see a lot of things that he had done in the past with uh, with Joss Whedon anyway. 
a lot of times directors uh, work with particular cinematographers or they'll just look at their reels to find them. I don't know how he found uh, how these two ended up working together. There is a possibility uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, had something to do with it because uh, Seamus McGarvey was the DP on The Soloist. That was the Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Jamie Foxx violinist movie that they did together. Seems to work a lot with Joe Wright, though. Um, on his films. So uh, anyway, that's the first of our names that uh, um, that hasn't been talked about before. The second is the next one, production designer James Chinland. Uh, he's the one whose name appears on the space behind Cap's back. Um, this also is his only film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I took note, that credit looks really good in the three-dimensional space. It, it looks like it's floating in that space, like kind of effectively. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes they don't track quite as well. Like it's, it feels like it's moving not quite the way it should be from where it is. But his actually works really well where it is. Well, I think Alan Silvestri is a a great contrast because the it, by where it is in the field of view, it should be sort of parallel to the head of the arrow, but it has that fake, um, the the fake blur on it, as if it's on a different plane, and it doesn't look that way. It's not good. Yeah, like the decisions, like when to blur things, when to not, sometimes seems to not be working well in in the process of this. Yep. Uh, The next person who, uh, this is the first time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is Lisa Lassick, one of our two editors. This is her first foray in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And after that, uh, pretty much everybody has worked in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, either before or after. So this is, um, yeah, a lot especially in the special credits at this point you're getting a lot of people who have already been spending quite a bit of time in this universe they were the ones on the google doc distribution list like <laughs> yeah they were just right, easy exactly. to be anyone <laughs> get to no. claim yeah captain america iconography yeah. exactly <laughs> right 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 uh well that's pretty much it unless you had any particular notes about any of these people you know that's pretty much the end of our minute any last thoughts from from anyone um i it's not specific to this minute but i do want to say uh in my rewatch it did stand out to me uh the care that was taken in these action scenes to um often like give cool individual tracking moments to everyone and it wasn't just a mass of superhumans punching other superhumans i I think there's something they knew how special it was to actually like try and pull all these different tones together and try and present all these different uh characters that they had taken the time to introduce into other films and have them all actually together in the same space and i don't feel like that care has always taken in action sequences in other superhero films (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah there's and there's a coherence to the actions and the interactions um between the heroes I think even in in Endgame, there's like a moment I remember, and I I, I haven't like really dissected it, but I think other people have, have taken note of it, where Ant-Man's supposed to be like working on the van, but then you cut to something and he's in the background and he's shoving a giant monster through a portal. He's like, wait, Ant-Man's not there. <laughs> he's doing something else right now. Yeah. That, that, wait, no. You, you have him doing something specific. He can't be in the background. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's well, uh, that's I imagine even harder by the time you're getting to a film like that where you have dozens and dozens. I don't even know how many dozens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so well, many and, different and, characters to track, and quite possibly like different effects houses doing things. And they're like, yeah, you can use these characters in this way. It's like, oh, that looks really great with him in the background, and then it gets cut together with a sequence. Right, 
And then suddenly where it's like, oh, actually, that doesn't line up anymore. But, you know, you don't have the the script supervisor covering all of the, the special effects operations that are going on to check for every fine detail. And, you know, we've even ta- run into that here, not specifically like with characters like that, but different situations that inevitably the special effects house uh, and the supervisor probably was just like, is it's a small difference from one thing to the other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the thing that I remember we were talking about, it's like when Tony launches all those little tiny missiles out of his shoulders, the count on his HUD showed a different number of missiles than how many were actually in the shoulder. And that can literally be different special effects houses. Exactly. And it's like, is that the sort of thing that people are going to notice? Is it worth the money that it's going to cost to hire those people to go back in, change it, re-render it, all that? Probably not. It's going to fly by on the screen so fast. Let's not worry about it. And again, it's only in this format of conversation that you're really breaking it down in such minute detail that you're going to run into those things. But... Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's the challenge of making movies. I mean, even my son was watching on on uh, something on a video about uh, Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, about one extra who it looks like they keep running past the same place over and over again because they cut from one scene or one shot to a different shot and the timing was just different. And so you have the same person running past twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, my it's like, these are the things like this is this is why there's a whole page on IMDb for every movie about all the gaffes that happen in the movie, because inevitably there are mistakes. I've seen a video of that kind of thing in in the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. Uh-huh. There's a scene where there's like a redhead in a purple shirt and they keep resetting her like constantly. <laughs> and so like through this conversation, she keeps walking behind the same person in the same direction, even though that person's saying like progressing in the conversation, like this extra <laughs> keeps walking behind Willem Dafoe in the scene multiple times. And it's like, it's distinctive enough that if you're looking for it, you can start to find those things. Yeah. that's funny. But it's like, wait, in, in that case, it's like, well, we have a limited number of extras to do background work for this. And so we're going to have them walk the same path multiple times. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that might not even be noticeable if they grabbed a different take. They might be doing multiple takes with people walking at different points. And so it's just a matter of the takes. Yeah, exactly. And different days, too. I mean, you know, coming back on different days. Okay, I think the timing was about here, you know, and and people are trying to remember, no, I was walking at this time, you know, and inevitably stuff just isn't going to line up. Hmm. So many cooks in the kitchen when you're making these things. But I I think that leans into what is so impressive when you get like those some of those fight sequences, not just like the hero shot spinning around the camera, but there's also one really cool, like long kind of pseudo tracking shot where you see what every member of the Avengers is doing across this. Mm -hmm, And I I love that scene. Some of their interactions, like so much care. I dig it. Like probably literally thousands of people uh, had had worked on on those scenes, you know, at the very least hundreds of, of, of people worked to make that completely fake scene seem seamless uh you know as you went uh you know as you went along and all the special effects and you know and all the, uh, you know just so much work uh to make that happen and that's a level of care that i i feel present in this fight scene that it even in other films that i enjoy quite a bit sometimes the big fight scenes become just hordes of people smashing at each other it's yeah and i think that was one of the special things about this particular film we want to we want to make sure we're highlighting all six of these people and making sure people recognize them all as part of the team and it was nice it was nice to see them do that but in that time absolutely 
All right. Well, you two, um, it has been wonderful talking to you both about the Avengers. Thank you so much for joining us for these two minutes. Oh, thank you for having us on. I always enjoy jumping on to uh, break down minutes of superhero films. <laughs> I can't believe it's so brief. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, it's just these two minutes. But uh, uh, tell everybody again about uh, your podcast and where they can tune in. Uh, I'm the host of the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we talk about a great character in a great story, and that is hosted on the Dueling Genre Network. And I do I, I do the production on that, but also I host Disney Animation Minute Essentials with my wife, Kestra, where we cover Disney animated films one minute at a time. Fantastic. Well, we will have the links for both of those shows in the show notes. Check them out. Lots of fun there. Uh, we will be back tomorrow to close out the week with Minute 135 and uh, jump into more credits with everybody's favorite <laughs> credit conversationalist, Tommy Metz III. I wonder if he'll even watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, he already did. We we talked to him at the beginning of the movie, remember? That's right. He, he said got through the whole thing. He, he made right. through the whole movie. Yeah. But did he watch the credits? We'll I find guarantee out you he did not remember what this movie is about. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, so much fun. Well, that's it. Uh, we'll be back then. So, Pete, thanks as always. Tomorrow, Andy, I guess we get to find out if Jeremy Renner got hyper-realistic rub- rubble on his Google Doc. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Renner for rubble. <laughs> Renner for rubble. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>